This is the Padre Peregrino podcast. Theology from a wandering priest where you can learn scripture from the fathers and traditional catechisms for free. Join Father David Nix here for shows on church reform and world politics, all from the point of view of apostolic Catholicism, the original founded by Christ. This is an RCT special, What is Infallible in the Catholic Church? Hello, my name is Father David Nix. This is the Padre Peregrino podcast. I got an email about a week or two ago from somebody asking me, what is actually infallible in the Catholic Church? Now, I thought I had explained the five things that are always infallible. ex cathedra statements, sacred scripture, unanimous rulings or teachings of the church fathers, creeds, and councils. But I realized I had never actually said my source for those things. And I also wanted to hash out a little bit more the different levels from day fide down as illuminated by Ludwig Ott, the great dogmatic theologian. So today's going to be a little bit of a special because I've been asked before, what is infallible? And this person who wrote me the email also asked again for proof that the Roman Catechism of Trent, also called the Catechism of Pius V, why that is the one that is infallible. Now, there's two reasons why someone might say, hey, I want to know just what is infallible as a Roman Catholic. What do I have to believe? There's two types of people that ask that question. The first is minimalists, and the second is maximalists. You may have heard my analogy before. Imagine a newly married man has, maybe after the honeymoon, explained to his wife, hey, is it okay if I go to my bowling league once a month? Or maybe he tells her not going to get into debates on, on uh, male headship on this today's podcast. So whether he asks or tells her, I'm going to go to my monthly bowling meeting, and then let's say maybe two or three months into this new marriage, these people in their 20s, we'll picture them as good Catholics, then he starts to ask to go once a week, or insists that he goes once a week. And then maybe he starts to ask, can I go to my bowling league two times a week? Maybe after a year, two years, can I go three times a week? But see, lovers don't ask the question, what's the minimal amount of time I have to spend with you? Someone who really loves Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church doesn't say, what's the minimum I have to believe? And I don't think there's many minimalists listening to this podcast, but there are certainly minimalists in your life, and you have to be able to prove to them from Catholic documents what is actually infallible. Now, ultimately, they're not going to really believe that. If you quote me, they're going to say, oh, he's a kook, he's an extremist, I don't have to believe that. If I give you Providentissimus Deus by Leo XIII, they're going to say, well, not everything a pope says is infallible. If I tell you 10 saints who said the same thing, they're going to say, well, saints are often to be looked at but not imitated, and not everything saints say are, are infallible. But if you're talking to somebody who's a minimalist, you're really not going to convince them anyway, right? But... We can plant the seed. I think it's St. Bernadette who said, my job as a Catholic is not to convince, but to inform. So I want to help inform you of the five things that are definitely infallible, the five aspects of the data points of Catholic dogma that are definitely infallible. I've named them before, but I'm going to tell you my source for them this time. So the first that everybody knows about, these are the five aspects of infallible teachings in the Catholic Church. And I think you can see why this is a special on RCT 
think you can see we're in very strange times right now where there's a lot of people not sure what the church actually teaches. Okay, so there's some liberals out there that say the only two things that are infallible in the Catholic Church are the two ex cathedra statements, the two statements that popes have said after Vatican I are infallible. Now, they are correct, these are infallible, but as we're going to see, these are one of five aspects of the data points that are definitely infallible in the Church. But they are infallible, so let's talk about them. ex cathedra statements, the two most famous, I think we could actually argue there's more, but the two that have used the Vatican I terminology uh, is Immaculate Conception in 1854 and the Assumption in 1950. Both of those are Marian dogmas. Now, we are going to come back to the fact that I do believe the last infallible statement in the Catholic Church was that latter one uh, in 1950. We're going to come back to that, but for the first of the five aspects, we have ex cathedra statements. That includes the Immaculate Conception declared obviously known by Catholics since the apostolic times, but um, crystallized in a new way in 1854. And then the Assumption, also known by Catholics for 2,000 years, um, but that was declared ex cathedra in the post-Vatican one way in 1950. Okay, number two of five, sacred scripture. This includes Old Testament and New Testament. Oh, by the way, how do we know ex cathedra statements are infallible? In the actual statement, if you Google these statements, the popes use the most supreme language for how this has to be believed by every Catholic um, at every time, especially after the statements, uh, because these are aspects, de fide, that means of the infallible faith um, forever. And so if you look at the actual documents, the actual words used by the popes in 1854 and 1950, it's very clear these are infallible statements. So that's my source, is, is that. Okay, number two of five. This is sacred scripture, Old Testament, New Testament. If it's not good enough for you that it says in the Bible this is the word of God, you can go look at Pope Leo XIII's Provenitissimus Deus. And as I've said on previous podcasts, you can see that of these five aspects of infallibility, only one of these is fully inerrant, and that's, that's the Bible. That's the Old and New Testament. And I've made some traditionalists a little bit squirmy in the past saying this, but if you look at St. Thomas Aquinas, his ultimate proof for all of this is Scripture. He doesn't quote himself. He quotes Scripture as uh, the highest proof. So even a Thomistic scholar will admit that sacred Scripture is higher than St. Thomas Aquinas. Of course, there's no contradiction, but sacred Scripture is his highest proof. Um, the analogy that I give is, imagine playing darts. A statement that's infallible is a dart that's guaranteed to make it to the dartboard. These are these five things we're looking at. An infallible statement will definitely make it to the dartboard. But an inerrant statement, which is only scripture, is every single word is a bullseye. Every word of the Bible is a bullseye, exactly as God wanted it. At least what is being asserted by the sacred writer. Okay, so we have one, ex cathedra statements, two, sacred scripture. Three, for the things that are infallible, is unanimous statements of the church fathers. Anytime the church fathers speak unanimously on a doctrinal or biblical topic, that is infallible. How do I know that? It's in Vatican I. You can go find it. Won't have time to link it in the show notes. But again, you know, the people who are going to believe me that it's in Vatican I are going to believe me. The people who don't, it's not really worth my time to put it in the show notes because they, they're not really looking for the truth anyway. But for those of you who are truly hungry for the truth, you can go Google that in Vatican I. Okay, number four is creeds. Anything that's in a creed, an official creed, is infallible. They're not really long, of course, but how do we know these are infallible? Well, it's because the Pope and all the bishops were there at these councils. 
And then number five is ecumenical councils. Ecumenical means the whole house of orthodox believers are there. It doesn't mean what it meant in the 1960s, ecumenical, that we invite Protestants and Eastern Orthodox to a pastoral council. That's not what it meant in uh, the first 19 centuries of Christianity. Ecumenical meant the Pope and all Orthodox bishops holding to the faith in union with him. And when they made a statement like a creed um, or an anathema statement, as we find in like Council of Florence, Council of Trent, Vatican I, then we know those are infallible statements. How do we know that? Because an anathema statement says you are condemned by the church if you hold anything contrary to this, such as Trent. So all the anathema statements of Trent um, have the backbone of the Pope and all of the um, bishops who were in union with him in making these statements infallible. So the five infallible parts of Catholic dogma, dogma are ex cathedra statements, Scripture, Old and New Testament, unanimous statements of the Church Fathers, creeds, and councils. Um, but keep in mind that councils only include... See, we've had, we've had uh, 21 councils in the Catholic Church. The first 20 were dogmatic, and the last one, the 21st Ecumenical Council, which I'm not even sure was ecumenical, again, because they invited Protestants and Eastern Orthodox, that was Eastern Orthodox not in union, uh, with Rome. Of course, for the first thousand years, all these Eastern seats were in union with Rome. But Vatican II is a pastoral council that never claimed to have anything infallible. And uh, I'm going to give you the words of the two popes uh, that led Vatican II, so you know this. Pope John XXIII said in Gaudet Mater Ecclesia on the 11th of October 1962, there will be no infallible definitions. All that was done by formal councils. Excuse me, all that was done by former councils. That is enough. So there you have John the 23rd saying there's nothing infallible happening in Vatican II. Why did they have it? I don't know. Okay, and then Paul VI on the uh, discourse closing Vatican II on the 7th of December 1965 said, The magisterium of the church did not wish to pronounce itself under the form of extraordinary dogmatic pronouncements. It's Pope Paul VI. So, uh, this is pretty interesting. This means we've had nothing new that's infallible since 1950. What did I say happened in 1950? That's the assumption that all Catholics had always believed in anyway. So that's a very interesting year. 1950 was the last time we have an infallible statement. Of course, Bunini, that wicked man who started jumbling up the liturgy in the 50s and really, really jumbling it up in the 60s, but what happened between 1954 and 1955? He changed the Holy Week. So already by 1955, several years before Vatican II, Bunini was already tampering with the faith. So many traditionalists out there believe that 1954 was the last pristine year uh, liturgically, even non-sedeva contests. There's many people even who go to FSSP parishes who very much prefer the 1954 calendar to the 1955 calendar. We won't get too much into inside baseball in that, but that's a very interesting year that the last infallible statement happened in 1950. And the last year that uh, many traditionalists believe was the most pristine liturgically was 1954. So when I say in my podcasts, you know, just read books made before 1954, I'm very aware that there's a very big gambit on the papal understanding of my listeners. It goes all the way from 1958 set of contests, people that don't think we've had a pope since 1958, 
all the way to people who believe our last six popes were great and good and valid and just misunderstood by your average mainstream media person. But either way, between these two bookends of the set of Acantus and the people who think we've had six really good popes after Vatican II, either way, you have to admit from the quotes that I just gave you from John the Twenty-Third, Paul the Sixth, the last infallible statement was truly in 1950. And this is going to kind of tie into the end when I give you again the quote from Pope Clement on why the only infallible catechism is the catechism, the Roman catechism of Trent that came about in the 16th century. This is why I think it's so important we return to 1950 documents because how do I know there's not infallible statements after that? Because the very people who are in charge of the church distance themselves from any infallibility under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost by their own words. Now, there still remains one question. How do we extrapolate from Scripture and the ecumenical councils? And I mean the first 20 of the first 21, the dogmatic councils that have some aspects of infallibility to them, and then Scripture, which has all infallibility, but can be easily twisted, as St. Peter said. How do we extrapolate from that what is actually the highest levels of what we say is de fide? De fide means defined faith and morals of the Catholic Church. Well, there's a book that I really would promote and have everyone get. It's called The Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma, and Ludwig Gott extrapolated from 2,000 years of teaching all of what's infallible, and he puts them in six grades of infallibility. Now, I don't think he would disagree with the five things I just gave, um, but when we are talking specifically about scripture and councils, it can become a little bit difficult to know the different levels. So what I'm going to read to you right now is, according to Ludwig Gott, the six levels of, well, he calls it the theological grades of certainty. So there are six theological grades of certainty, and this is especially while looking at what we can take out of Scripture and the councils to, and the Pope's decisions and writings to really know what is de fide definita, um, articulated faith and morals of the Catholic Church. Now, I'm going to read you these six. The first four are infallible. It means we can't accompany people in dialogue who disagree with them. I mean, we can be compassionate and merciful and talk to them over beer or coffee about these things, but there's no dialogue about how we might be wrong on these things. So the first four of the six of the third theological grades of certainty, there is no dialogue because they're essentially infallible. Now, I'm not going to get into specificities of the teachings under these six, you can actually get Ludwig Gott's book, again, called Fundamentals of Catholic Dogma, if you want to look through um, 800 pages or 1,000 pages to see where he applies these de fide or uh, theological grades of certainty to different aspects of Marian teaching, liturgical teaching, creation teaching, all of this different stuff. You can apply that, but I want to give you the six, and we're going to, um, this will be the second to last part of this podcast. So on page nine, uh, section number eight, Ludwig Ott names the six theological grades of certainty. And again, this is how we extrapolate from scripture and councils and papal statements the uh, highest levels of infallibility. First four of the six are infallible. The last two, there's a little bit of wiggle room. Okay, number one, the highest degree of certainty appertains to the immediately revealed, revealed truths. The belief due to them is based on the authority of God revealing fides divina, Fides divina, which is divine faith. And if the church, through its teaching, vouches for the fact that a truth is contained in revelation, 
One certainty is then also based on the authority of the infallible teaching authority of the church, fides catholica. If truths, and he capitalizes truths, if truths are defined by a solemn judgment of faith definition of the Pope or of a general council, they are de fide definita. That means of defined faith. Okay, number two of the six, Catholic truths or church doctrines on which the infallible teaching authority of the church has finally decided are to be accepted with a faith which is based on the sole authority of the church, fides ecclesiastica. These truths are as infallibly certain as dogmas proper. Okay, so notice right there, level one is de fide, level two is de fides ecclesiastica, but by corollary, it's still infallible. See, all these people who say there's so few things we have to believe as Catholics, they're totally wrong. There's a lot of things that we have to believe as Catholics. But lovers don't ask what the minimum is. Lovers want to know the maximum that they get to believe in, not that they have to believe. Okay, so we've covered number one, De Fide Definita, two, Fides Ecclesiastic, and number three, still infallible. A teaching proximate to faith, Sententia Fide Proxima, is a doctrine which is regarded by theologians generally as a truth of capital R revelation, but which has not yet been finally promulgated as such by the church. So notice right there, that's all good theologians before Vatican II believed that anything that was sententia fide proxima flowed from what was already infallible. So you really couldn't dialogue with it. You couldn't disagree with it in good faith if you were a good Catholic. Okay, number four. A teaching pertains to the faith that is, it is theologically certain, sententia ad fidem pertinens, or theologice certe, certa, rather, theologice certa, means theologically certain, is a doctrine on which the teaching authority of a church has not yet finally pronounced, but, listen to this, but whose truth is guaranteed by its intrinsic connections with the doctrine of revelation, that is, theological conclusions. So once again, these are things that are corollary to de fide statements and are still infallible, even though we're at level four of the six. Okay, and then five and six are very strong theological teachings, but ought comes short of calling them infallible. So five and six. Number five is the common teaching, that is sententia communis. This is a doctrine which in itself belongs to the field of free opinions, but which is accepted by theologians generally. So what that means is if you're Orthodox, you're going to accept it. There was already a little bit of uh, trouble, obviously, before Vatican II, but what he's saying is pretty much all solid people accepted the common teaching, the things that fall under, if you look through this whole 800-page book, uh, things that are sententia communis, it's pretty much held by theologians. But we're, notice, we're not talking about, like, James Martinson's. We're not talking debating things that people today are debating. We're talking very, very minute, tiny little aspects um, of theology. Okay, and number six is theological opinions of lesser grades, of certainty are called probable, more probable, and well-founded. So those are three levels under six. So six A, B, and C. Six A is sententia probabilis. Six B is probabilior. And six C is bene fundata, which means well-founded. Those which are regarded as being in agreement with the consciousness of faith of the church are called pious opinions, sententia pia. The least certainty of the least degree of certainty is possessed by the tolerated opinion, opiniota, opinio tolerata, which is only weakly founded, but which is tolerated by the church. So again, notice we're talking, you know, there was a debate in the 12th century. When you die, do you is your primary faculty functioning in heaven? Is that going to be your intellect or your will? See, we're not talking what 
is currently de- being debated in the Vatican right now, like really basic natural law stuff. When we hear pre-Vatican II, what's the, the opinio tolerata? That means what was a minimal, what was a minimum amount of theologians believing on a certain topic of very, very specified inside baseball uh, long ago. We're not talking again debating sodomy and stuff. Okay, so articulated faith and morals that's being debated. Most people uh, in the Catholic Church right now are not do not have any sense of really what a wide bandwidth of what is infallible according to the Catholic Church. Again, everything in Old and New Testament is totally infallible. But see, this is why we're doing the series, Roman Catechism of Trent, because I do want to read you. We're going to close with this line um, showing that uh, the reason why everything in the Roman Catechism of Trent is infallible is, first of all, because it only takes from infallible sources, like the Bible and the Council of Trent. But secondly, it does have the stamp of a pope on it of having nothing with error. Now, you're going to notice in this quote that I read you from uh, Pope Clement VIII, I don't use the word infallible, but just notice, what is without error, that's the term he uses twice, without error, that means simply the same thing as infallible. Pope Clement VIII declares in his encyclical In Dominico Agro that the Roman Catechism of the Council of Trent was free from error, quote, as our predecessors understood that that holy meeting of the universal church was so prudent in judgment, it's talking about Trent, and so moderate that it abstained from condemning ideas which authorities among church scholars supported. They wanted another work prepared with the agreement of that holy council, which would cover the entire teaching which the faithful should know and which would be far removed from any error. They printed and distributed this book, that's the RCT, under the title of The Roman Catechism. There are aspects of their action worthy of special praise in that they compelled the teaching which is common to the whole church and which is far removed from every danger of error. And they proposed to transmit it openly to the faithful in very eloquent words according to the precept of Christ the Lord who told the apostles to proclaim in the light which he had said in the dark and to proclaim from the rooftops what they heard in secret." So the new catechism that came out in the 1990s, is it infallible? Absolutely not. It doesn't claim to be. And in fact, just look at how many times they flip-flop in the 1990s on the topic of the death penalty, and then more how, how much more severely they flip-flop the last five years in this new catechism on the death penalty. Now, some people might say the death penalty doesn't matter too much, but if you look in Roman thir- Romans 13, if you look in the Old Testament, it's always been articulated faith and morals of the Catholic Church that we do accept the death penalty. It is part of the right of the state to punish criminals. And the very fact that the new catechism has flip-flopped so many times, even if you disagree with me on the death penalty, even if you disagree, you have to admit it has flip-flopped numerous times. Well, guess what? You can't actually have an infallible (laughs) flip-flop. It's just impossible. So that's why we stick with the Roman Catechism of Trent. The last infallible statement of the Catholic Church, I'm not making any statements on the validity of popes. I'm just saying everyone has to agree. The last infallible statement of the church happened in 1950, but there was a lot of them before then. And that's what we're covering in this series. That is what is contained in the Roman Catechism of Trent. So this is why I encourage you to stick with this series because it's a lot more infallible than all the other ones. Please say an Our Father for me at Benedictio Dame and Potentis. Pace et fidi et spiritu sancti descendet super vos et maniat semper. Amen.